Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Travis Brown, who is reporter for the Eagle down there in College Station, as well as my Aggie Nation, covering all things for Texas A&M. Travis, really appreciate you joining us this afternoon, man. How you doing? Anytime, guys. Doing well. How are y'all? Well, we're doing good. Um, it would be a lot better if Razorback basketball were living up to the expectation that they had earlier this year, being a top-10 team, and it hasn't really been kind to them over the past month. But it seems like Texas A&M, you know, a team from last year that didn't make the NCAA tournament, that seemed like they had a ton of games where they didn't even play because of COVID, bouncing back a little bit more this year and seems to be uh, doing a fairly good job so far. What have you made of the Aggie basketball team so far this year? Well, yeah, it's hard to even compare this Aggie basketball team to last year's team because there's only really three guys with any significant playing time from last year's team, last year's team that came back due to uh, lots of transfers and, and transfers in and out. So it's a really, really new-look team. I mean, uh, even Buzz Williams kind of said they hit the reset button um, heading into this season. They, they Not only did they change the roster, they changed kind of how they approached defense. They, they changed their offense up. Uh, it's a much better shooting team anywhere except the free throw line. Um, and so, yeah, I think if, if there's Arkansas fans who, who had followed a little bit of what was going on at A&M the last two years, they're not going to recognize this team at all um, with, with all they brought in um, over this last offseason. The guy we're familiar with here at Arkansas, Ethan Henderson, how does he fit into the mix of this new team? You know, he, he's actually really uh, separated himself as probably A&M's best defensive big um, or defensive post. A&M has mostly run kind of a four-guard set with either Coleman or Henderson, uh, uh, Henry Coleman or Ethan Henderson as kind of that one post guy. And if they need uh, a big defensive stop in the game or defensive uh, uh, shot blocking, changing the shot of a driver, he's been their guy and he's done a pretty decent job at it so far. Um I, I think, as y'all would know, he's not the offensive side of the floor isn't necessarily uh, his game, and it hasn't really been his game for the Aggies this year. But he has been um, their go-to defensive guy down in the post, and has gotten some some pretty significant playing time because of that. So, so looking at A and M, they're twelve and two this year. A lot of season left, but definitely off to a solid start. What has made them so good? What has been their t- part of their team that has been able to give them so much success so far? It all starts with their defense. They have a really strong, um, uh, fast defense that that turns that forces a lot of turnovers. They're actually um, uh, ninth in the country in turnover percentage at twenty six percent, and uh, sixth in the country at steal percentage. They get a lot of live ball turnovers and are able to make, turn that into transition game and uh, a lot of um, easy buckets or, or highlight real dunks. And that's how they've been able to kind of bolster and put up some runs this year that have given them leads that um, have uh, really made them successful. The, 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 the challenge of that is, though, when they aren't necessarily forcing any of those turnovers and or their offense sputters a little bit in the half-court game, they have been prone to little lulls and little um, opportunities for other teams to get into the game. They, they were the much better team against Georgia for the majority of the game, but they came out in the second half a little bit flat and allowed Georgia, I think it was like a 15-0 run um, at, towards the beginning of the second uh, half that, that let the Bulldogs back in the game, and then they were fighting it the rest of the game. I mean, Georgia took the first lead of the game with five seconds left, and they needed that buzzer-beating three from Marcus Williams to, 
to actually claim a game that they really had no business being close um, if they continued to play like they did in, in the first half. So um, that role has been there all, the entire season. I mean, you and I'm having to go to two OTs against Abilene Christian earlier in the season, but then uh, coming back and, and really had pretty dominating performances against Butler and Notre Dame uh, at the Maui Invitational. So it, it, it it's kind of a tale of which, which team shows up and if they're going to play the full 40 minutes uh, or if they're going to have that little bit of a lull and, and make it a contest with whoever they're facing. So now a second conference game with both A&M and Arkansas. How do you see that matchup? Yeah, I, I think that it's, uh, it, it's going to be an interesting one with how Arkansas has, has kind of struggled to, to, to start out the season. This was a game that um, I, I think a lot of people – I think this, this is really a game that I kind of was looking for, forward to and looking for because if you looked at A&M's schedule, other than the, the, the TCU game and the Wisconsin game, they really didn't have a whole ton of, of, of really stiff competition. Um, you might throw Notre Dame in there at the Maui Invitational to really kind of prove um, who this team is and if, if, if the non-conference team is really – the same as what's going to be the conference team. And I kind of had this game circled as, as one that, that would be that first real test and especially the first real home test of, of who this team actually is. I'll be interested to see if it still plays out that way with, with Arkansas uh, struggling a little bit. But we know that, you know, whether uh, they, any, anybody wants to admit it or not, both of these programs, both of these schools like to bring it when they play each other. And uh, I think it's going to be a, a, a pretty good matchup from that end. If, if A&M, um, the way that A&M has been able to counterbalance some of their struggles at the free throw line, occasional turnovers, and, um, uh, you know, just, just generally having those lulls is they've been one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country uh, this year. And so if they can continue to uh, have that success behind the arc, then uh, it's going to be a tough one for, for Arkansas, really anybody around that same kind of, level in the SEC to, to, to hang with the Aggies. You know, looking at it just from the fan perspective, too, this game's on a Saturday, and it's always tough to win on the road in the SEC, but what's the atmosphere going to be like on Saturday when Arkansas comes in, and how have the Aggie fans taken to this basketball team? Is it something that we can expect to sell out and the energy's high? What's the feeling like right now? Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any chance that there's going to be a sellout. There's A&M has always been a football baseball um, school. And, and if there is going to be a wave that, that catches on to the, the, the basketball bandwagon, a little bit later in the season, the students aren't back on campus yet. So you're not really uh, going to have that, that student section going. They're still have their kind of holiday hoops promotion. I, I, I was pretty surprised that when they closed out the season with central Arkansas, on a weeknight, it was a, a pretty decent crowd as far as uh, A and M men's basketball goes, with you know like five dollar tickets, and you can bring the things like that. And so uh, you know, I don't I don't necessarily see this as being a game where a home court advantage is going to be a, a a huge part of it, other than just the comfort that A and M has shooting in 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 their their gym. Something that Arkansas is still in search of on the court is uh, leadership. So. With so much turnover in this roster for Texas A&M, who are the leaders on this team? Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to look to the three guys that, or two of the guys that, that returned from last year, and that's Andre Gordon and Quentin Jackson. 
Uh, Quentin Jackson is, is, is the fifth year senior. He came back another year and took advantage of that COVID year. Uh, and you got to think, you got to consider that he's pretty much the heart and soul uh, of, of this team. He's one of those guys that's always in the mix with those um, half court trap steals and the highlight reel dunks. Uh, he, he's very intelligent, and, and uh, Buzz Williams really uh, leans on him to to lead the team. And Andre Gordon uh, is a guy who played a lot of point guard uh, his first two seasons at A&M. They shifted him to shooting guard. He knows the system like like uh, like it's the back of his hand. And, and he's actually one of the best, most efficient three-point shooters in, in the country. I think he's up to – he was down to about 14th in the country. I think he's at about 23rd now uh, in the country in, in three-point shooting. But, but then you got to look at guys like uh, Tyrese Radford, who they brought in from Virginia Tech. Uh, as an older guy, a guy that Buzz recruited while he was at Virginia Tech, and is, is, as you, you will hear ad nauseum on the uh, the TV broadcast, his nickname is Boots because Buzz Williams said he was tough as boot leather. Uh, and then a guy who you actually have to look out for is a true freshman, Wade Taylor, has really come onto the scene, and, and he's playing well beyond his years uh, with the confidence to shoot the ball and the confidence to, to run the offense. And I think he'll be impressed with uh, – with how well he's able to adapt and, and how confident he looks on the court uh, for being a, a true freshman with the team. That, that's uh, mostly just that Henry Coleman is their, their um, uh, kind of force down low. He's more of a, a power forward kind of running uh, post. He's not like a true center. They don't really – Javante Brown is the only guy they have on the roster that kind of resembles your, your actual um, traditional center, and he hasn't really – panned out yet so far and what the Aggies have been able to do. But Henry Coleman um, fits a little bit more into that kind of Josh Nebo role from a couple of years ago. Uh, same, kind of, little, same kind of body. He's a little bit younger than Josh was when uh, Buzz got here, and so he has a little bit of development to go, but has had two 20-plus point games, including uh, then last, last uh, outing against Georgia, and, and he's going to be the guy down low. But, yeah, Quentin Jackson, Andre Gordon, uh, Tyrese Radford and um, uh, uh, Wade Taylor, some names to look out for uh, as, as guys that that'll, that could impress um, this weekend. So with Travis Brown of the College Station Eagle here on Out of Bounds, 103.7 The Buzz. Travis, I do want to shift gears to football because uh, something that we have been talking about today and knowing how the landscape is of college football is NIL and transfer portals and all that, but Texas A&M has hauled in Arguably, I don't. And I don't even know if it's arguably at this point, but they have hauled in the greatest recruiting class you'll ever see in college football this past year. Now we know that A and M's always recruited well. We know that Jimbo Fisher's a great coach and all those things. But just kind of help us understand why this year, why this class, why did it end up being so great for the Aggies? Because it seems like myself and others kind of believe that the NIL played a major part in it. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt that. There is a lot of money within and surrounding the A&M football program. I mean, you look at any of the NCAA financial um, documents that have to be filed each year, and A&M and Texas are always, you know, either one, two, or three on the list every year for revenue that the athletic department brings in. I was actually um, in this first year when you wanted to talk about NIL deals with the Aggies that were on the roster in the last year. It wasn't as pervasive or as um, flashy necessarily as a lot of the other NIL deals around the country when you look at your dear Kings or your Bryce Youngs or um, some of those guys. Now, it probably, you, know, you mentioned that those two guys are, are quarterbacks and A&M was 
uh, young at quarterback this past year, and so that probably played a little bit into it. But it was it was when you looked at some of the other schools and kind of what was going on, it was conservative. I would say this last year. Now that's not to say that um, that's not going to ramp up, and it's hard necessarily to to gauge where school isn't with NIL because those contracts and those uh, types of things are um, not open record, even though we try uh, to, to get our hands on some of those. Um, and, and so it's, it's kind of hard to know how they're doing there. I do think that, that Jimbo Fisher did hit the jackpot with some of these guys, that, that these recruits in this class that really bought into what they were selling and bought into the program and then went out and recruited on their own a lot, some of their peers. I mean, you read some of the stories coming out of the Under Armour All-American game with some of these guys that were a little bit undecided on where they might go. And, and these A&M recruits were trying to get some, even more of these big-name, top-tier uh, top talent guys to A&M. And there's a little bit of that LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, super team type mentality that you go back to what happened there. Of Well, everybody kind of wants to be where – all the best talent is. So I think it was a little bit of a combination of, of, of a, a perfect storm of a lot of those deals where um, once you get a few top guys and start talking to guys, uh, the kind of snowballs. And then I wouldn't be, I, I, it would be naive to say that I don't know what NIL type pitches were out there, but if you do any kind of simple search or know anything about A&M, you know that it is a, school with a large fan base and a, um, a large donation pool that makes it one of the highest revenue schools in the, in the country. So you got to think that there is prime real estate for um, NIL deals, not to mention you're two hours from Houston and you got, you're, you're basically you're got really an hour and a half from Houston and about two hours from three other major metropolitan cities that, that, that will capitalize on having uh players and, and the things that they can lean on. So, yeah, I think all of those things culminated into what could be one of the, well, according to 247 sports, is the, the best uh, recruiting class in the modern recruiting era. A&M has Haynes King coming back uh, from a major injury to play quarterback, and the guy who ended up playing the majority of the season, Zach Calzada, he transferred out. So, overall, behind Haynes King, what does that quarterback situation look like? Yeah, it actually might be the robust of a quarterback room that they've had since the kind of Kyler one days prior to the transfers. Um, but uh, they have uh, Haynes King coming back, and then uh, they got a, a, a five-star uh, quarterback in Connor Wegman um, coming in, who, who Jimbo has just raved about. You know, when there was rumors kind of spreading that Quinn Ewers was wanting to come back to the Texas area and A&M to be in the mix, Jimbo Fisher – without bringing up yours or without his name being uh, circulated, kind of, if you read between the lines, had some comments saying, listen, Wegman was always my guy. He's smart. He's, I, I want this guy in my program. And he has absolutely raved about him since signing, since, since uh, Wegman put his, his pen to paper for, for the Aggies. And then uh, Max Johnson, the quarterback that actually beat the Aggies in their season finale uh, loss at LSU, uh, transferred in. His brother uh, is the number one tight end in the 2022 class that the Aggies uh, pulled out of, of Georgia and got to be a part of his class. And, and they, the two brothers wanted to play together again. So he's going to be back in that Aggie room again. I, I, I think that it should be Haynes King's job to win or, Haynes King's job to win or lose coming in. But 
the, the arm talent and the talent that Connor Wegman has it is, is pretty undeniable, and he's going to give every bit of a run for his money in his first season in Aggieland. So it should be a really interesting and really fun quarterback battle uh, to cover coming through the fall into the next season because it, it really could be anyone's game from three guys who who have uh, every bit of, uh, of an argument to be a starting quarterback in Division One. You know, you're looking at the recruiting class. You're looking at who's coming back next year. You're looking at the SEC West, all of these things. I'm just curious, is the expectation a national championship at A&M like here in the next couple of years? And if they don't get it, it's going to be considered a disappointment because it seems like everything is there. Everything is there for them to do it. At some point in time, they got to take that next step. And I know Bama is always tough to overcome, even though A&M beat them this year. But is it going to be considered a disappointment if A&M does not play, at least play for a national championship here in the next few years? Well, I think that, you know A&M made the Jimbo Fisher hire because they wanted to you know, do two, two, three things, really. They wanted to uh, beat Alabama, they wanted to contend for SEC titles, and they wanted to get in that playoff national championship uh, contender race. And I think that if, a, if the next four years, if the next cycle of this recruiting class goes by and they're not at least uh, – in one of those playoffs or, or, or in that playoff hunt every time. And yeah, I think it would be a disappointment because uh, well, I mean, there's going to be a lot of conversation about this, you know, being the, being the top recruiting class ever. I believe the last one, according to two, four, seven, that was considered the best recruiting class ever was the 2017 Alabama team. And you were able to see what Alabama was able to do with that best class ever. And so I think that if A&M isn't able to at least make it into the playoffs, and yeah, that would probably would be considered a, a, a pretty big bust and a pretty big waste of talent. Now, here's the other thing to pay attention to with that, and I know y'all were talking about this and whatever, is, man, they pulled in 27 guys. They pulled in, part of that was three tight ends. They have, I think it was four or five defensive linemen. Two of them are five-star guys. Um, there is a lot of really talented players in here, and there's only so many snaps to go around. So the other interesting caveat to all this is to see how many of those guys that they can get to stick around for, for, for three years and, and how many of those guys do uh, turn into the kind of talents that they would expect them to be uh, and not find greener grass elsewhere because I, I, whether it's A&M or Alabama or Ohio State or Arkansas or any school in the country, if you pull in that much talent, there's only so many snaps to go around and only, only so many uh, balls to hand off and balls to throw. And so – um, it'll be interesting how well they can keep this group together. But if they do that, then, yeah, they, they're every every reasonable expectation should be that they make it into the playoff and, and contend in the playoff. Well, Travis, we really appreciate you joining us, man, and giving us some insight on basketball and football side of things. Have fun this weekend. Enjoy the game, man, and I know we'll be catching up with you later down the road. Sure thing, guys. Y'all take care.